Well, good morning. It's great to have you here with us at church. And let me add to Jackie's welcome. Um, I'm really excited about, again, this week, jumping into Philippians. If you missed last Sunday, can I encourage you um, after this to, to go and watch last week so you can get some of the context of what we're doing and where we're at in Philippians. And um, last week, for those that were here, were joining in, uh, remember we talked about joy. We talked about joy being a feeling that's um, from the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit helps us to remember Jesus. You know, Paul, when he wrote Philippians, he wrote it from a prison cell, and we're going to discover more of that this morning. Um, and he really had this single-track mind of glorifying Jesus, of focusing on Jesus, and it produced in him a joy. Uh, particularly last week, we talked about this joy that Paul had in, the, in fellowship uh, with the, the church at Philippi. He had the, the church in Philippi on his mind. He remembered them. They were in his heart. He had this real affection and love for the Philippi church. And then that drove him to be praying for the church there and the brothers and sisters there. And they were real partners in the gospel. So this morning we're going to continue in Philippians chapter 1. I'm going to read from verses 12 to 26. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, flick them open, swap them open. Uh, otherwise I'll be on the screen as well. It says this, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. So it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I'm in Christ. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These who preach out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defence of the gospel, the others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. But what does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed. And this I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice because I know this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the Holy Spirit of Christ Jesus. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honoured in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me. And I don't know which I should choose. I am torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. And since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. Let's pray together. God, we thank you again for your word. God, we thank you for this time together that we have to learn, to be encouraged, to be challenged, to be spurred onto action, and to remember Jesus together. And so, God, we pray that you would use your word, you would use my voice, and you would use our ears to hear the, the voice of your spirit, to be changed and to be uh, challenged by him. And so, God, we lean in to what you have for us this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. You know, I don't know about you, but um, this time in isolation has produced some wacky moments, and uh, I have noticed I haven't done anything silly. Um, I find it 
you, you would find it hard to believe, but I am not a silly person. I am very sensible. I'm never doing anything silly. But I've seen lots of videos and people online doing all these silly things. And, you know, some of the videos that you see, I mean, uh, are crazy. One of, the thing, one of the videos I saw was, um, you know, someone demonstrating all the, th all the uses for tomato sauce. Now, I've got tomato sauce, I must admit, in my cupboard. Um, I don't know why. I don't know why. who uses um, tomato sauce. I'm a barbecue sauce man myself, but apparently there are some uses, and some of the uses I found uh, through this video uh, for tomato sauce was like, apparently if you put tomato sauce on a mozzie bite and leave it for 10 minutes and rub it off, it's, it's good for a mozzie bite. Uh, apparently you can do the same with cracked heels. You can put tomato sauce with like a whole lot of sugar in a plastic bag and then like wrap your foot in that gross, slimy, whatever you want to call that, and it will fix up your cracked heels. Or they use tomato sauce to like clean some rusty chrome on a tap, made it like new again. You know, and tomato sauce is not, I'm sure that when the people made tomato sauce, that's not what they were thinking. We're going to use tomato sauce to fix people's cracked heels. I'm sure they thought that would be used for making food taste better, but barbecue sauce is for that. But you know, I used that illustration this morning to, to help us see that the, the experiences that Paul went through um, were unusual for the results they produced. In that, you know, he experienced this um, imprisonment, he experienced these chains, he experienced these critics, he experienced these crises in his life. And for, on the surface, if you were to look at what he experienced, you'd say, well, that's not going to help his cause. That's not going to help him produce um, lots of Christians. That's not going to help him advance the gospel if he's stuck in a prison cell by himself or confined to a limited space. That's not going to see the gospel spread. That's going to see it confined. But the Holy Spirit has a way of using, un using unusual circumstances uh, to bring about the fruit and the results that he so desires. And this morning, I want to encourage us that whatever situation we find ourselves in in life, that God has a way to use that exact circumstance to further the gospel, to advance the kingdom. You know, um, God uses strange items and locations throughout Scripture. You know, you think of Moses and his rod, you think of David and his sling against the Goliath, you think of Jesus and some of the miracles he performed, especially the one I think of is when he spat in the dirt and made some mud and rubbed it on the, on the guy's eyes. Um, or you think of Joshua and the trumpet and marching and, and these things that happened in the Bible uh, and God using strange and alternative ways of seeing um, things happen that he wanted to see happen. Um, Paul's chains in prison are no different. God uses what Paul is going through to advance the kingdom and that is exactly what Paul is saying here. He's saying, what I'm experiencing now, the, the prison that I am in, is actually advancing the kingdom of God. You know, I also think of Joshua, not, sorry, not Joshua, Joseph in Genesis, uh, and his brothers sold him. And, you know, there's this classic verse in Genesis 50 at the end of his life and his story, and it's a big story we, don't, we won't go into this morning, but he says this, You planned evil against me, but God planned it for good to bring about the present results, the survival of many people. You know, I think there's so many times in our life where Satan or the enemy or people around us mean something evil for us. But God uses it for good. God uses it for good. It echoes what Paul says in Romans 8.28. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, 
and who are called according, who are called according to his purpose. So Paul is saying here in Philippians 1, these first couple of verses that we just read, that he's changed, that his imprisonment has actually served to advance the gospel. The prison didn't hinder the spread, but actually accelerated the spread. Let's read these um, verses 12, 13, and 14 again. It says, I now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. So it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. So this advancement of the gospel comes about because of the opportunity Paul has in prison to reach the imperial guard, to reach some high-ranking officials through the imperial guard, through what he is experiencing. He is having access to some people in Rome that he wouldn't have otherwise had access to. God is using this bad situation for his purposes. It's not necessarily a great advertisement for Christianity, though. Come and follow Christ and you'll be thrown into prison. You'll be beaten, maybe die, maybe killed. Come and follow Christ. You'll experience what I'm experiencing. It doesn't seem like a great advertisement, but somehow through Paul's witness, through what Paul was experiencing, through the joy that he was um, exhibiting in his life, people are drawn to Jesus. He is using this uh, situation in Paul's life to bring people into relationship with him. Paul lives like this, I think, because of some really deep convictions, some really deep beliefs in, in what Jesus is, who Jesus is to him, and, and what Jesus has for him. You know, I think Paul has some really profound convictions, things that maybe we say all the time and we say that we believe in and give credence to, but I wonder in our deepest hearts whether we were thrown in prison, what our response would be. Would it be the same as Paul's? You know, I think Paul has this sort of conviction that Jesus is real. Jesus is not just a good idea. He's not just a way. He is the way. The Jesus Christ of 2,000 years ago that we read in the Bible, he is a real person. He is really God. He is the Son of God. He really died. He really rose again. He is really sitting in heaven right now. Paul has this deep conviction. Jesus is real. It's worth dying for. That Jesus really forgave his sins. He has this conviction. Jesus is real. Jesus really forgave his sins. And that he, is, he has a God that is for him. So when Paul has these convictions, it drives him to have this confidence. My God is real. He's forgiven me. He's for me. Not only that, but he has this conviction that God is sovereign. He is sovereign over my imprisonment. He is sovereign over my life. He is sovereign over every part of who I am and, and what my world is at the moment. And lastly, I think Paul has this deep conviction that heaven is real. That no matter what I face, no matter what comes my way, whether it is death, I will be better for it. I'll be better off in the long run because heaven is coming. Jesus loves me. He's forgiven my sins. He's secured a place for me. And when I think, when I think about these convictions and when I think about if I have these convictions... I think when I really believe these things, when I really take hold of these truths, it spurs me. It gives me a fearlessness in my cooperation with the Holy Spirit to speak about Jesus boldly, to give it 
um, to live with a conviction that will see the gospel advance. You know, this sort of belief is not just with our lips, but it's got to be in our hearts. No chain can cause us to back away from the gospel or for what, from what Jesus has for us when we have these sorts of convictions. So I wonder for you this morning or for wherever you are at the moment in your life, what are your chains? What do you look at in your life at the moment as a limitation that maybe God wants to use as a way of pioneering and advancing the gospel? I'm sure Paul could have sat in prison when he was thinking about writing this letter and gone, you know what, it's no use. I'm in prison. I can't do anything. I am completely unlimited. I have no opportunity to do anything good for God. These chains are too tight. They are binding me up too much. But instead, these chains were an opportunity. What has the enemy thrown into your world that is meant for bondage, but God intends to use to release the gospel to others? You can't chain up the gospel. You can't confine the gospel. Jesus is far more powerful than anything that could confine us. He is too strong. And Jesus used Paul's chains to further the gospel, to pioneer and advance the gospel. Not only did he use the chains of Paul, but he used the critics of Paul. The next couple of verses, verse 15 onwards. Paul says, To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defence of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, thinking they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. And what does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice because I know this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. You know, it's hard to believe that not everyone uh, liked Paul, but um, not everyone did. He had his critics, he had people that were against him, that were threatened by him, and even he had some Christians, people that he called here brothers and sisters, that were in rivalry or competition with him. You know, they weren't asking people, are you following Jesus? They, these critics were asking people, are you following Paul? Are you following us? And I think of it in um, you know, today's context. You know, we can get caught up in the same mindset. Are you part of South Baptist Church or are you part of this church or are you part of our way of thinking? Have you got this sort of theology? Have you got this sort of theology? And we can get caught up in the, the differences or the, the things that we think are the main thing and forget that you know, the way that Paul thought, he was single-minded around, it's all about Jesus. It's all about the gospel. The, the, other, the other little differences that we have are insignificant in comparison to the gospel. And Paul says, I don't care whether they preach from a good motive or a bad motive, as long as Christ is being preached, as long as the gospel is getting out there. That's all I worry about. That's all I am concerned about. Paul didn't spend um, time worrying about the motivation of these other brothers and sisters. Instead, he was just rejoicing that the gospel was spreading. Again, I think back to last week and last week's message and, and one of the things I talked about was those blocks of wood in friction when we're, when we're focusing on the things that are different in our walks rather than focusing on what's the same. When we focus on what is the same and what the same... Um, you know, this uh, unity we have around the gospel, this unity we have around Jesus and him saving us, when we focus on those things, it leads to our joy. 
And not only does it lead to our joy, but it leads to the gospel spreading in the way it should. When we don't uh, focus on what we have in common, instead we focus on our differences. We're robbed of unity. We're robbed of joy. And ultimately, others are robbed from the gospel not being spread in the way it should. Critics can be hard to take sometimes. The differences that we face in our Christian walk with others can be hard to take sometimes. But only when we're concerned with our own selfish ambition. That's what Paul here was saying. He was saying these people are preaching out of selfish ambition. They only concern about themselves, about advancing their own prestige, their own promotion, their own ambition. And when we're considered or considering our own promotion, our own ambition, critics can hold us back. But when we are concerned about those things, critics can hold us, um, can't hold us back at all. Paul will go, go on in, in Philippians, and next week we'll talk about this in chapter 2, and he'll talk about this importance of putting others first and having this selfish ambition as the, the last thing in line. Some people have said that Philippians and joy could be spelt Jesus, others, you. And when we have our life in that order and we have our priority list in that order, that Jesus is first, others are second, and our self is last, then we experience joy the way God intends for us. And I think it's uh, maybe a great way of thinking about Philippians, a great way of thinking about how joy works. Philippians definitely follows that outline. The first chapter is all about this gospel-centered, Jesus-focused, single-mindedness of Paul. And the second chapter is all about humility and thinking of others and, and it works in that order. So Paul um, sees his chains, um, through his chains Jesus was made known, through his critics Jesus was being preached and then finally through Paul's crisis of what he was facing Jesus was being magnified. Let's read these next six verses. My eager expectation and hope is that I'll not be ashamed about anything but that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honoured in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me. And I don't know which I should choose. I'm torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Since I'm persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. You know, Paul really saw his crisis, that what he was facing, his imprisonment, as a way of Christ being magnified. You know, Paul has this wrestle here of, should I stay in the flesh or should I die? I don't know which to choose but I'm going to choose to continue on because through my continuing on, even though I'm in change, even though it's not a great circumstance, through my doing that, Christ will be magnified. Jesus will be made much of. You know, what does it mean to magnify something? What does it mean to, to do this? You know, I'm, I've got a very cheap and wobbly telescope here, um, but even the, the cheapest and, and most terrible telescope magnifies something a little bit, and, and I've used this to to look at stars and planets in the sky. And, and the way that it works, it, again, I'm not a scientist, um, it doesn't make the object larger. You know, 
by using a telescope, suddenly the, the star is not getting bigger physically in its place. I'm just um, seeing it bigger through the lens. You know, it's just magnifying what is already big. And, and when we think about magnifying Jesus, I think it's a great way to think about it. Jesus is so big. He is so grand. He is so magnificent that we have no ability to make him any bigger than he is. But rather we can be a lens in which others can see Jesus as bigger. You know, some people that aren't following Jesus, or maybe even some people that are, see Jesus as something small and distant. And when they see someone who is magnifying Christ, they see a Jesus through that person that is far bigger and far closer than they've ever experienced before. Christians, through, through the way we live, through the way we talk, especially through the way we face crisis, are a lens for others to see how big Jesus is. Paul does this magnifying in his own life by not being afraid of death. Instead, he's looking forward to it. And in the same way, um, he had no fear of his chains. He had no fear of death. Instead, he saw it as victory. He saw it as advancing the kingdom, advancing the gospel. He had these convictions that Jesus was real, that his sins were forgiven, that God was for him, that God was sovereign, and that heaven was coming. And when he had these convictions, it drove him to live a life that was just all about Jesus. You know, there's this classic verse in, in this little um, section we just read, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, which is a great memory verse. It's a great verse to recite and to keep on our minds. And for Paul, you know, this idea of living is Christ, I think was twofold. In one sense, he was saying for me to live is for Christ, and he sort of says that in that verse preceding in verse 20 talking about how Christ is honoured in his body, how Christ is um, uh, glorified in the way in which he lives, that all he does is for, uh, for Jesus' sake. He does what Jesus wants. He does what Jesus commands. And so in that way, to live is Christ. To live is for Christ. But it also means that we live in a way, and he goes on to say, to live is Christ also means that we um, live in a way that others see him. Living is for the sake of others seeing Jesus. Paul's motivation is clearly this, that others would see Jesus. In fact, his reason, his seemingly only reason for wanting to stay alive is so others might know Jesus. So that people who don't yet know him would know him. Otherwise, he says, uh, it's better, I'm sort of deciding whether I should stay alive. I may as well go to heaven because that is what I'm really looking forward to. If, if it was just up to me, if it was just my selfish choice, I would just go on up to heaven right now. But instead I'll fight for the gospel because I long to see people come to know Jesus. I wonder how you and I would go with that. How do we live for Jesus? How do we honour and magnify him with our life? How do we help be a lens in which other people see and see the magnitude of Jesus. See the greatness and the love of Jesus. Do we have a goal and a motivation to see others come to know Jesus? You know, I really believe that South Baptist Church is a church that is all about this. It is all about seeing the lost found, to seeing those that are far from Christ 
come and be welcomed home into relationship with him. That it doesn't matter what walk of life someone is from, whether they are a friend or a foe, whether they are a good person or, or a terrible person, that we are all about seeing everyone come into a saving relationship with Jesus. Above all else, above every other ministry, above all that we do, that is what we're all on about. We're about seeing people come into a relationship with Jesus. We don't want to just do things that make ourselves feel good and look good. We're not in it for our own selfish ambition. We're in it for the sake of seeing Jesus glorified and we're in it for the sake of seeing others come to know him. And I pray that that's your motivation in your walk with Jesus as well. That you are truly motivated to see others come to know Jesus. Because I think when we live this way, when we live in this order, Jesus first, others second, and ourselves last, we'll experience a joy like nothing else. And we'll experience a joy that can't be taken away through any sort of bondage, through any sort of criticism, through any sort of crisis that we might face. Instead, we will just experience all the more joy because it comes through Jesus. So I wonder if you this morning, maybe you're watching and you don't know Jesus. I would really encourage you to explore and to find out who this Jesus is and to follow him. We'd love to connect with you. We'd love to reach out and and get to know you. So please um, make yourself known to us so we can do that. And for the rest of us that are already following Jesus, I pray that we would ask the Holy Spirit to really stir within us this um, desire for Jesus and the gospel to be spread like nothing else. Let's pray for that this morning. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that, that Jesus, you are real. That Jesus, you have forgiven us. Jesus, you are for us. You are sovereign. And that heaven is coming. And God, we pray that as we live with those convictions, God, we will experience a joy through any chain, through any um, crisis, through anything we might experience, we will experience joy. We will magnify Jesus together and see him made famous in this town and, and throughout the whole world. So God, would you use us in whatever circumstance we find ourselves to see others come to know you. We thank you for your word. We pray that it would encourage us and challenge us again this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thanks again so much for joining us this morning. Can I encourage you to to um, click on the link right now that's coming up and jump on to Zoom, onto the after party. It was great seeing so many faces last week. And if you can do that this morning, it'd be great to connect with you in that way. But otherwise, stick around if you're a kid. Um, SBC Kids is coming up. It's going to be lots of fun. And uh, we'll see you again next Sunday.